Well, please uh, open up your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if you have one of the uh, church Bibles, you'll find that on page uh, 1,155. 1,155. Let me just uh, thank the musicians both this, uh, this evening and this morning. Really enjoyed the music, so thank you for all your hard work in practicing and playing, serving us in that way. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm just going to read uh, the first 11 verses and you'll find that on page 1,155. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom were still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed, and this is the word of God. If you want to hear God speaking to you, why don't you just bow your heads, and let's ask he would speak to us through a feeble Welshman and through his scriptures. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we can meet tonight. We've already heard testimonies of your grace Uh, in the lives of these two men, and we thank you for just hearing that and being reminded that you're still in the business of changing lives today. And as we approach you, uh, we we long that we would hear uh, not human words, but hear your voice speaking through your word. And so we ask now that you would come with your Holy Spirit and both empower the preacher and all who listen. Lord, be pleased to bless the preaching of your word this night, we ask. In Christ's precious name, amen. Amen. 94.6 million people die every year. 94,600,000 people die every year. That works out about... 262, that's right, 260,000 every day, 10,800 every year, every hour. 
Gosh, my math's just going out my head there. I've, I've even written it down. Works out about 10,800 people dying every hour. That works out about 180 people every minute. That's about three people dying every second. That's quite a thing, isn't it? Death is inevitable, and yet we really don't like to talk about it. Most of us feel a bit like Woody Allen when he said, it's not that I'm afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. And in a more serious moment, he said this, the fundamental thing behind all motivation and all activity is the constant struggle against annihilation and death. It is absolutely stupefying in its terror, and it renders anyone's accomplishments meaningless. Woody Allen says, the problem with death, it just makes the whole of life meaningless, he says. And the time it took me to say that, another 180 people died somewhere in the world. Now, one of the roles of a pastor is to prepare people for death. That's one of the job descriptions, I think, to prepare people to die, to prepare them for this inevitable moment. For the Bible's quite clear uh, what it says in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And what he means, uh, what he means by that is that after we die, we will stand before God, and we will have to give an account for our lives. Uh, death is not the end. It is appointed for every man to die. We know that. But the, what Scriptures is saying is that after death, there comes judgment. There comes facing God and giving an account for our life. Now, there are some things you should never forget. Your wedding anniversary, if you're married, you should never forget that. Uh, next month, I think, we get 17 years coming up. Is that right? Yeah, 17. I have to check with the uh, lady who knows. And um, that's something you know, they, they, they like you to remember that, I've noticed. You should never forget whether your car takes diesel or petrol. That's one of these things you should never forget. We sent out a short-term mission team to bless some of our linked missionaries in Spokane. They let us, uh, you, the team used the car. They drove it around everywhere. And uh, they, 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 they thought, well, let's, let's be kind to the, the missionary. And the, they just took it away without him knowing and cleaned it up and took it through and, and filled it up. Unfortunately, they filled it up with diesel when it was a petrol. So that was a blessing, wasn't it? You should never forget certain foods uh, or medicines that you have an allergic reaction to. You're, you, you know, forgetting that could mean that your life will be very short. But the, in the light of the certainty of, of death and then judgment, then there's something vitally important that we should know, and there is one thing that we should never forget. And it's found here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And... Uh, if you've closed your Bibles, please open them back up again, page 1155. Uh, he is writing to remind these Christians in Corinth that there's something they should never forget. Have a look at the very first verse again. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Do you see what they should never forget? It's there in verse 1. It's described as the gospel. Gospel is just a word that means news. Uh, there, there is news that we should never forget. It is a message that he, uh, the Apostle Paul, had actually preached to them when he first traveled to Corinth after he had become a Christian. 
He became a Christian. Jesus turned his life around and he went out and preached this news to other people. And he'd gone to Corinth and he preached the same message in this uh, city where no one had ever spoken this message before. And they had become Christians um, by receiving this message. It is the very essence of what a Christian is. In fact, you cannot be a Christian unless you're someone who has heard this message and received it. Uh, Whether you're a Christian or not depends how you respond to this message, to the gospel. And they had become Christians by hearing the Apostle Paul preach it. And in the language of verse 1, they had had received it. They had uh, taken their stand on the gospel. They not only heard it, they grabbed hold of it and they were kind of standing on it. As if their lives depended on it. And indeed it does. They'd stake their lives and their reputation on this message, on this news. They'd link their status and their hopes to this message. It defined them. They were now new. They were now different to everyone around them because they had heard and received and were taking their stand on this message of the gospel. And why had they done that? Why had they done such a life-changing thing? Why is this gospel message so important? Why is it something that you should know today? Why is it something that you should stake your life upon? Well, there are reasons there in verse 2. By this gospel... You are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. See, in the light of the fact that it is appointed for men and women to die, and after that comes judgment, then this is a gospel uh, message by which we can be saved from that judgment. If it is certain that we will die, and after that we will face God, and he will uh, call on us to give an account for our lives, and the truth is that on our own track record, we're going down, Here's how wonderful this message is. There's a message about how you can be saved on that day. A couple of years ago, there was a a movie called The Guardian. It starred um, Ashton Kutcher and uh, Kevin Costner. And it's about the U.S. Coast Guards uh, that fly in horrendous weather conditions to rescue people at sea. The helicopter goes out. I'm sure you've seen this. And uh, they lower a man out on a harness, on a winch and a cable, and he's lowered down to where uh, the people are in distress in the sea or on a boat that's kind of about to go under. And uh, he he attaches the harness to them, gives them the thumbs up, and he is winched up uh, out of the water into safety. And I think as I read verse 2, that's the sort of imagery that helps me understand what verse 2 is saying. The Apostle Paul, he had come to Corinth, and he had shared the gospel. And the gospel was like a harness. It was a harness that uh, he had attached to them, that they had, in fact, grabbed hold of the harness. They had, they had put themselves in the harvest. They grabbed onto it, and, and they were saved. They were, they, were being, uh, they were in the process of being saved as they held fast to the one thing that could save them. That's what verse 2 is saying. And Paul is writing to remind them of this truth and urge them, never let go of it. Never let go of the gospel. They were in danger of letting go. You know, if a Coast Guard rescuer uh, came out in one of those helicopters on the stormy sea and the winch came down and you were the one floundering in the sea, certain death unless you grabbed hold of this harness. And you, Imagine how you'd feel when you grabbed hold of this harness. I mean, you thought you were going to die and, and, and there's a rescuer and there's a harness and you've got it and you put it on and it's fantastic and, and you're being saved, you're being winched up and then, and then, and then if you were to unhitch yourself from that, if you were to... If you had to, to Get out of that harness and choose to let go of it. The point is that 
You're just going to fall back into the dangerous sea. There is no salvation if you let go of this harness. And that's what he's saying to them. Never let go of the gospel. In fact, uh, any previous claims to have some ownership on the gospel will be useless if you let go of it. If you let go of the gospel, the one thing that saves you will be lost. You're not a Christian. So I want to ask you this evening, are you holding fast to the gospel? Now, I don't know whether you're here as someone who's investigating Christianity, someone who got dragged here by your Christian mates and you don't know why you're here, or whether you've been a Christian for many years. The point is, you, you, you need to get hold of this gospel and you must never let go of the gospel. And I'm saying to you, are you holding fast to the gospel today? Have you received it? Have you believed it? Have you taken your stand on this message? Are you holding on to it? Because really my first point this evening is quite simple. It's never let go of the gospel that saves. Never let go of the gospel that saves. But what is the content of this gospel that saves? Now, what was the message that Paul actually preached to them? Well, there it is in verses 3 and 4. Look at verse 3. For what I received... I passed on to you as of first importance. Now, before we get into the content of the gospel, I think it's just worth saying that some people view Christianity as, as, as though uh, it was something that was made up about Jesus a long time after Jesus lived. Uh, uh, they, they say, well, you know, uh, this message of the Christian faith, really, it's like Chinese whispers. And it was developed, you know, over hundreds of years. He was a, like a great a great bloke, yeah, we accept that. But then, you know, people built up stories and stories and, and eventually they thought, well, he's God. And, 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 and it's, it, lots of people are saying that. You can switch on the telly and there's people telling you that that's what Christianity is about, that somehow the Christianity was made up by the Apostle Paul. And you have to say, as you look at this statement, that it's absolute nonsense. Verse 3 is such an important verse for us to show that such a view is utter nonsense. We're reading one of the earliest Christian writings, probably written around... Uh, 50 AD, so that's about 20 years after the events of the life of Jesus. And Paul makes it clear here that this message, the gospel that he preached to them, was not something he came up with. It was something that he received, and he carefully passed it on to them. You know, great myths don't come up over 20 years. This is something that he received, and he passed on. And so what is the content of the gospel that saves? What was the gospel that Paul preached them? Well, there it is in verse 3. For I delivered to you, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the essential message of the gospel that we must hold on to. It's a gospel that's all about Jesus Christ. It's the news about a real historical person and about real historical events. I mean, you're going to get up tomorrow, maybe you have a paper delivered, you're going to open it, you're going to read news of what happened, uh, how the Royal Bank of Scotland is going to shed lots of jobs, but not many in Edinburgh. You're going to read about things that really are happening in the world out there. Well, that's what we're talking about with the Christian message. We're talking about real news, something that really happens uh, about a real person and uh, who, who... Something about his death and his burial and his resurrection from the dead. That's what Paul preached to them. And it's the same gospel that really I want to commend to you tonight. You know, there's most, most news just becomes, you know, tomorrow's fish and chip paper, doesn't it? But here is news 
that is, we've been talking about it for 2,000 years because it's news that is worthy of being heard today in the 21st century in Edinburgh. This is news that saves. It's news about Jesus. It's news that, that you need to grapple with tonight. The, the, the death of Jesus was planned by God. It wasn't just um, a, a sad event, a tragic end to a promising life. You know, this is something that uh, God planned long ago. And you'll see that repeatedly in that phrase, according to the Scriptures. And he's meaning the Hebrew Scriptures. He's meaning like the Jewish Bible that we have as the first part of our Christian Bibles. Promises made hundreds, thousands of years before that actually found them having perfect fulfillment in the life of Jesus that told us that he was going to come, that he was going to live this perfect life, that he was going to die, that he was going to be buried, and that he was going to be raised. Hundreds of years before it was all promised. It was all a plan of God. And the second thing about the death of Jesus here is that you've got to see it's purposeful. Christ died. That's the event why? What's the, what's, what's the purpose? Well, Christ died for our sins. Now, the reason that we experience death and the fear of judgment is precisely because we are sinners who commit sin. Even though we try and suppress this, uh, this knowledge, this idea, the truth is, uh, why is Woody Allen freaked out? It's, it's not just that death is going to happen. I think in us there is a sense that we know that we're morally guilty. We know that we haven't lived as we, as, as, as we would desire to live in our own scheme of what we think is right, let alone according to God's standards. No, we are sinners who commit sin. And, it, and sin alienates us from God. It makes us enemies with God. And that's exactly why Jesus came and died. This is why this is such brilliant news. He died to rescue us from our sin. He came to deliver us from eternal consequences of our sin. I mean, back to the Coast Guards. Do you know what the motto of the U.S. Coast Guard Service is? I discovered it when I watched that movie. See, movies are so helpful, aren't they? Um, for so many illustrations. Anyway, I discovered their motto was this, that others may live. Isn't that a great motto for a Coast Guard rescuer? That others may live. They put their life on the line so that others may live. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He did it so that others may live. He came to die and pay the penalty for our sins so that others may live. We don't have to experience the judgment of God after we die if we lay hold of this gospel that's safe. That's why Paul preached to them this message, why he preached them that Jesus really died and that Jesus also really was raised from the dead. That, you know, it's obviously really died. He talks about him being buried. You don't bury alive people. Well, you shouldn't. Very naughty. Don't do that. No, Jesus was really dead. That's why he was buried. And on the third day after his death and burial, that body that was buried was raised to new resurrection life. And Paul was certain that this improbable event had actually taken place because of the eyewitnesses that had testified to its veracity. Look at verse 5. And he appeared to Peter. And, and then the, the twelve, the original disciples, they, they saw with their eyes the empty tomb and they met the risen Jesus. And then verse 6, he says, And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. And he says, if you don't believe me, most of them are still alive at the time he was writing this. 
He could say, well, why don't you go? You can go and and have a chat with them. They'll tell you what they saw. And then verse 7, then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Now, if we have the intellectual snobbery to think that people could only have believed that back then because they were backward and that, you know, we know so much more now, then can I show you that people didn't rise from the dead in the first century either? It's not like people are walking around the graveyard in, in, in Palestine going, what's going to happen? You know, they knew this didn't happen. They may not have had the internet. They may not have had Google, but they knew that dead people didn't rise. It's not that they were more gullible that they could believe this. In fact, if you think that that's the case, you should read Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God. And in his chapter on the resurrection, he points out extensive historical research that has been done to show that, and he says this, to all dominant worldviews of the time, an individual bodily resurrection was almost inconceivable. There was not a framework for thinking that individually a person would be raised from the dead. It didn't fit into the Greco-Roman thought. It didn't fit into Jewish thought. You know, they, the Jewish thought would be that there would be a day of resurrection. Everyone would rise. No one was expecting one person to rise. And for different reasons to our own time, the bodily resurrection of Jesus would be seen as just as improbable in the first century as it would appear to us today. And yet, almost overnight after the death of Jesus, the entire Christian community suddenly adopted a set of beliefs that were brand new, never heard of up to that point. And they had a resurrection-centered view of reality. They believed that the future resurrection had already begun in Jesus. It was such a stunning sociological phenomena that such a radical view could just happen like that. The sociologists say, well, what explains this? This is just unheard of. What explains such a rapid change? And I think the only explanation that makes sense was that on the third day, Jesus rose again. And it's the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that declares Jesus is the Christ King promised in the Scriptures. He's the one who has come to defeat death Give new life. He's the one who's returning to judge. On the 18th of June in 1815, it was a very significant date in British history, the day in which Wellington faced Napoleon at Waterloo. Uh, The future of the nation was at stake. People up and down the country were waiting to hear what had happened. And one of the main lookout posts was at the roof of Winchester Cathedral from where the channel could just about be seen. And at last, the signal ships came in view Uh, A severe fog almost prevented the signal from coming through. But before the mist came in, the essential message could just be made out, Wellington defeated. The worst had happened. Uh, The depressing news began to spread from beacon to beacon around um, England. And yet a few hours later, the fog lifted and the full message could be seen. Wellington defeated the French. Huzzah! That would be hard, really. I think... In a sense, you look at the cross of Christ, and I think something like that, it must have looked like that. It would be hard to find a more pathetic picture than, of weakness than Jesus on a cross. He didn't look like the great Messiah that he declared himself to be. I mean, there were moments in his life where he did stunning things, you know, feeding 5,000, raising the dead. Well, he looked like a, an incredible Messiah then, but not, not now, surely not on the cross, not bloodied and bruised and naked for the mockery of everyone. He did not look like the king of the Jews. In fact, the placard they put over his head just looked like a sick joke. 
And as far as the crowd were convinced, you know, the message of the cross was crystal clear. Jesus defeated. But of course, the full message was not seen until the third day. As we see an empty grave, and finally the full message can be, re- can be read. Jesus defeated the grave. Jesus was not just a religious teacher. He was and is the mighty, victorious Messiah. And the resurrection reveals his true identity, as well as the victory he achieves uh, in his death on the cross. Now, the resurrection of Jesus really is an essential part of the Christian gospel. Without this, there's no good news. And if we had time to kind of look at it in detail, we could look at the whole chapter. We don't really have time tonight. We've got some baptisms to see. But look at um, verse 17. Just see how significant the resurrection is. I'm familiar to some, I'm sure. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. What a tragic, hopeless, sick joke Christianity would be if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. No resurrection. Our Christian faith is futile. It's pathetic. There's no forgiveness of sins. When we die, we face God's judgment. But the wonderful thing, such a grim possibility is not the case. Verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So the resurrection of Jesus means we have a genuine faith that our sins are forgiven, that we have a sure and certain hope that when we die, uh, we will participate in the future resurrection with Jesus. And so we should never let go of the gospel that saves. We should never let go of the gospel that's about Jesus Christ. And lastly this evening, I want to just finish by looking at this point. We should never let go of the gospel that changes lives. Now look at verses uh, 9 to 11. That's what's going on here there. There may well be uh, people here today who are not Christians, but you're interested. You begin to investigate the Christian faith. And and one of the pieces of evidence about the resurrection I'd urge you to consider uh, would be to to look at the lives of people changed by the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Now you should consider this if you're still a skeptic. You can go all over the world today and you're going to meet people who say that Jesus is alive. Now that's just a little bit interesting, isn't it? There's so many people convinced of this. You've got to say, even as a skeptic, that's just a little bit interesting. Nobody's saying Buddha's alive. No one's saying Muhammad is alive. But people are saying Jesus Christ is alive. And people are saying that their lives are being changed and transformed by the risen Lord Jesus. And exhibit number one in our chapter is, is Paul, who's writing this letter. You know, after a long list of the people that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection, Paul says in verse 8 that Jesus appeared to him. And that experience turned his life around. I mean, what was Paul like before he met the risen Jesus? Well, verse 9 says he was, a, he was a persecutor of the church. So convinced he was that the Christian faith was wrong, he hunted Christians down and uh, threw them into prison and approved them being put to death. And what did this uh, great persecutor become? Look at verse 11. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach. This persecutor became a passionate preacher of the Christian gospel. What an incredible change. A persecutor becomes a preacher of the very message that he was uh, persecuting. I mean, it would be as remarkable as seeing bin Laden coming out of uh, his cave and sort of endorsing George Bush for a, a, a peace prize or something. 
Ain't going to happen. And yet this remarkable thing happened. What could explain it? Apart from this one fact, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. What else could explain such a change? The risen Christ met Paul, turned his life around, and his testimony in these verses is that he had experienced God's amazing grace. Let me tell you, I don't know what you've done with your life so far. I don't know whether you have done things that are shocking that you've not ever told anyone about, and you think, there is no hope for me. And you look around this room, you see nice, clean-cut people who look like got their lives together. You say, well, this is not for me. I'm not clean-cut. I haven't got my life together. I've done some terrible things. This can't be for me. And look at the Apostle Paul. He killed people. And yet God's grace grabbed hold of him on the, on the Damascus Road and turned him to be one of the great preachers, turned his life around, made it useful. The risen Lord Jesus Christ is in this business of changing and transforming lives. We've heard it tonight, haven't we? We've heard uh, two of the, our friends here tonight, Alistair and Grant, that the risen Lord Jesus has showered grace upon them and they've come to know him. We're going to see their testimony as they go into the waters of baptism. So if you're not a Christian here today, I want to tell you that you are surrounded by people whose lives have been changed by the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Don't look around now. It's a bit spooky, but there's a lot of people around you who've been changed by the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Talk to them about it. Ask them, how do they come to know Jesus? How is Jesus changing their lives right now? How is his grace transforming their lives? Now, while I've been talking away here, about 5,000 people have died. Imagine that. 5,000 people have died while I've been talking. And the point is, one day, it's going to be me. One day, it will be you. One day, it will be you. And I'm asking you tonight, on what are you basing your hope and confidence? Be certain of this. You will die and you will meet with God. On what are you basing your hope and confidence? Is it in this gospel that saves, this gospel about Jesus Christ, this gospel that changes and transforms lives? My friend, there is no other message. There is no other hope. And if you've not put your trust in Christ tonight, can I urge you, can I plead with you tonight to do so? There is no guarantee that you'll have tomorrow. Get right with God tonight. And if you want some help to know how to do that, why don't you come and speak to me? Uh, speak to someone you know who's a Christian friend tonight. Get right with God tonight. And my friends, if you've got this gospel... Never let go. I know there'll be some people here tonight and you've come tonight and you're thinking, is it worth it? It is so hard to live the Christian life. There are some things in my life and I keep going back and doing things that I know are wrong. I keep screwing up. I Never let go of the gospel that saves. Jesus Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Let's pray, shall we? Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, judge of all men and women. Oh, we thank you that 
as we consider a day that is appointed for judgment, that we can look into our judge's eyes and see a savior there. And we thank you for this wonderful message. Thank you that people shared it with us. Thank you, had an opportunity to share it tonight. And Lord, we, we ask that for, for those who've trusted it for many years and yet are struggling, Lord, that you would strengthen their faith to never let go of this. For those who are on the edge, concerned about what they may have to give up, Lord, give them faith to see that in having Christ, they have all that they need. Father, we thank you that we have this opportunity now to witness, again, two lives changed and transformed by your gospel. We thank you. We bless you. We long to see many more in this city come to the same place. So, Father, we look to you and we thank you. In Christ's precious name, amen.